Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to 2022. Ready or not, here it comes, right? I hope you had a wonderful time celebrating with your friends and family over the holiday. And here we are, this fresh new start, this first Sunday after New Year's. I love the sense of beginning that the new year brings because there's something really wonderful about things that are new and fresh. I mean, who doesn't love fresh flowers? Come on, let me get a hand, let me get some hands out there. Fresh flowers, that's right. Uh, fresh bread, a freshly painted, I know, I'm all about that, a freshly painted room. Or how about for you football fans, a fresh set of downs. I'm sure hoping the Steelers deliver lots of those next tomorrow night. Well, there's power, isn't there, in a fresh word of encouragement? or fresh understanding that brings new insight. But for me, this fresh thing tops them all, a fresh start. And regardless of what you did to ring in the new year, whether you banged pots and pans at midnight, or you watched the ball drop, or you ran barefooted around the house, that's something my family's done on occasion, or if you were like many I know, went to bed early, this new year offers a fresh start for all of us. We all get it. You don't need to sign up, line up, save up. It just comes. There's fresh potential as far as the eye can see. But unless you're intentional about it, most of us will kind of blindly walk into 2022 with lots of 2021 hanging on our shoulders. Well, I don't know about you, but there are lots of things for 2021 I do not want to bring into 2022. And so here's where the annual ritual of New Year's resolutions comes in. And I'm all for self-improvement, for better self-leadership, but sadly, statistics tell us that by Valentine's Day, most people have abandoned their resolutions altogether. In fact, of the people who make resolutions, about 10% of them actually achieve them. And then there's the other side. Because of that high failure rate, lots of people don't make resolutions at all. They set zero goals so they won't, not, they won't miss the mark. But, of course, that's missing the point and missing the opportunity of this fresh start that the new year offers us all. Because goals are important. In fact, they reveal a lot about your priorities. The goals you set, the things you value, the things you're willing to work to achieve say a lot about what you value. Dallas Willard, a long-tenured philosophy professor at the University of Southern California and an ordained minister, said this, what you seek defines who you are. So the first step for us on this Sunday after New Year's, as we peer into the open roadways of 2022, is to answer the question, what do you want? What are you searching for? What are you looking for? What are you seeking? And I want to give us all a moment to pause and consider that question and answer it in your heart. What are you after in 2022? So will you join me in prayer? Lord, I thank you for the privilege that is ours to gather in your name, to lift our voices in song, to worship you, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who is coming again. And we recognize the gift that is ours to worship your name and also the gift that is ours with this new year standing in front of us. And as we consider the goals that we have, whether they're professional or personal, relational, have to do with our health, with our family life, I pray, Father, that you would shine a spotlight on the hearts 
and allow us to understand what we really do want. And so as we pause, move in our hearts, Holy Spirit, I pray. We come asking for your insight, Lord, that we might know ourselves. And so now, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be pleasing and acceptable unto you. Holy Spirit, will you move in my mind and heart that I would proclaim the truth and that we as a body of Christ will be nourished by your word today. For we ask this all in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, whatever goal or aspiration came to mind in those few quiet moments, you'll be reassured to know that the Lord wants to meet you there. And as we consider this question of what do we want in the next 30 minutes or so, I'm prayerful the Lord will light our way collectively and increase our own understanding of what he might desire that we want. Did you know the question, what do you want, are the first words of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of John? It's in John 1.38, and the context is this. It happened right after John the Baptist identified Jesus as the chosen one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You can picture the scene, John with his band of disciples following after him, learning from him, apprenticing their, themselves from him, recognized John's prophetic utterance about Jesus, and they turned away from John and began to walk after Jesus. They're curious, maybe tentative, but resolute in their quest to find out if Jesus, if he really is the one, the chosen one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, maybe Jesus felt them following because he turned and asked them this question, what do you want? My guess is they were kind of caught off guard they were surprised, and they fumbled around for an answer, and they came up with a question of wanting to know where he was staying. But what they really wanted to know if Jesus was the one, if he was the Messiah, the Christ, the one sent from God, the one they were all waiting for. Well, in response to both of those questions, the literal one about where Jesus was going and the deeper one about who he really was, Jesus replied with this invitation, come and see. And that's an invitation for us as well. To gain some perspective on how we do that, let's look into God's word and come and see for ourselves. And I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew's gospel. It's a portion we know is the Sermon on the Mount. It spans from chapters 5 through chapter 7. It's the longest of Jesus' sermons recorded in the New Testament. Luke includes it too. But the setting is different. Instead of the Sermon on the Mount, it's called the Sermon on the Plain because Jesus delivered it on a flat space instead of on the mountain. But because the teachings are essentially the same, many scholars agree that this is a compilation of all of Jesus' teachings. In fact, John Calvin asserts it represents a brief summary of the doctrines of Christ. And so... It seems to me like that's a great place to begin our quest in this summary of Jesus' teachings. And in the middle of this extended teaching section is a summary statement that I'd like to use as a directional marker for us in our seeking. This is what Jesus said. But seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So it's a conditional promise, and it begins with the directive to seek. To seek something is to look with intention, to search for it by going from place to place. It's not a casual looking, it's intense. You intensely seek. You know what I mean, have you ever lost your keys or your wallet or your phone? And you know how you, you, you look for a while and then you ask your family to help you find it? And they kindly say, I don't know mom, where'd you put it last? And you say with great uh, gentleness of spirit, if I knew where I put it, I wouldn't need to find it. Because you're searching frantically. Why? Because you need your keys to get to work. You need your wallet because it has your ID and your bus pass and your money in it. And you need your phone, well, because you need your phone for everything. And so you search frantically because you literally can't proceed to the next thing in your day or in your life without finding the thing that you've lost. Finding it becomes your number one priority. That's the kind of seeking that's referenced in the Bible. It's something the Bible talks about many times, and you're familiar with this. In the Old Testament, we hear, seek peace and pursue it from the Psalms. In Romans, many times, we're told to seek righteousness. And in the wisdom literature and in the prophets, seek justice. But the command to seek God accounts for about 25% of all the commands to seek in the scripture. And the command to seek God is directed not at the world at large, but at the world of the church, at God's people. Why would God tell us to seek him? Is it because we've misplaced him? We don't know where we put him? No, I think it's because even though we know him, we tend to lose sight of him. And so it's us, his people, who are called to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And so the question is, are you willing to look for God before everything else? If you are, I've got some great news for you this morning. God guarantees that when you search for him, you'll find him. In Jeremiah, we read this. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And then Jesus promised this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You see, the good news is this. We can all have more of God. There's plenty of him to go around. He's infinite. All we need to do is enter in to come and see, investigate, come close and gather in. Accept his invitation but we must come on his terms. Author Rob Reimer, author of uh, Soul Care, says this, you can have as much of God as you want, but only as much as you're willing to pay the price for. Well, Eric Little was a man who sought hard after God. He pursued God with all his heart, his strength, his mind, and his soul, and he was willing to pay the price. You may remember him as the main character from the 1981 film Chariots of Fire. He represented Great Britain in the 1924 Olympics held in Paris. But Eric wasn't born in Britain. He was born in northern China, 
to Scottish missionary parents. He returned to England for most of his schooling, and it was while he was at Oxford College that stories began circulating about his speed. He was soon recruited by the Scottish National Rugby Union team and later won a number of national track championships. He was known more as a sprinter, and it was his success in these shorter distances that earned him a spot on the British Olympic team destined to compete in Paris. He was the favorite to win the 100-meter event. But when the race schedule was released, Eric was faced with a dilemma. The qualifying heats were to be held on Sunday, the Sabbath. And even though the finals were later in that week, Eric would need to go against his conscience and his commitment to keep the Sabbath holy and compete in those preliminary races on Sunday. Now, I don't know what he was thinking. Maybe he wrestled, thinking he might be able to justify it. Was running really work? It was the finals of the Olympics he was trying to get into, after all. Would God give him a pass on this one? But Eric could not reconcile the tension in his heart and remained resolute. He removed himself from the competition. It was not a popular decision. His coach offered him a spot in the 400-meter race. He had run it before, but it was decidedly not his specialty. And based on his previous times, he was expected to finish the race about mid-pack. Well, the day of the race arrived, and as he made his way to the competition, someone handed him a note with a portion of the verse from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, and it said this, I will honor those who honor me. Well, whether it was the inspiration from God's word, the encouragement of another believer, or perhaps the Holy Spirit, Eric ran that 400-meter race in the final and beat the favored American by a definitive margin. He not only earned the gold medal, but he set a world record that stayed for 12 years. Now, it's easy to celebrate this gold medal performance and label it an evidence of God's blessing based on Eric's commitment to Christ, a decision to honor God above all else by not competing on the Sabbath. And certainly on one level, that's true. But that's not the end of Eric's story. Eric Little didn't rest on his Olympic gold medal laurels. Instead, he returned to the mission field in China to share the good news and invest in the kingdom of God. And it was there, during the Japanese attack on China in 1945, that he suffered from an untreatable brain tumor and died while interned in a work camp. That might not be the happy ending we'd pick for our hero of the faith, but his life stands as an example of one who sought after God with everything he had. And so we might understand from Eric's life what it is to seek after God, but Jesus specifically directs us to seek after God's kingdom and his righteousness. And so what is that exactly? Well, I'm glad you ask. The kingdom of God is used interchangeably with the kingdom of heaven, and it's kind of a mysterious term, but it occurs more than 80 times in the New Testament. Simply put, the kingdom of God is the place of God's reign. It's the place where what God wants to be done is done. You recognize the concept from the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus taught his disciples, he said, Pray this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
God's will is already being done in heaven. He reigns there. So heaven is understood as the standard. We pray that God's will would be extended to the earth. And to personalize it, the question becomes, as those who follow after Jesus, does God reign in your heart? Is his will your number one priority? Because if we want God's will to be done here on earth in the same way that it is in heaven, we must do our part and allow him to reign in our hearts and move through us. So we can be his change agents directed by the Holy Spirit. We can be his errand runners, his ambassadors, his bridge builders, his agents of reconciliation. We can be the ones to share the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand, propelled forward by our submission to his will. Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven so often that at one point the people asked him what he meant. And he answered with a parable, a simple story to describe this deeper truth. He said this in Mark chapter 4. Jesus said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. See, Jesus was saying that the kingdom of God grows from something so small, it's almost invisible, yet becomes something so huge you can't help but see it and mistake it. That nearly invisible seed becomes the largest of all garden plants. What he's saying is that the kingdom of God implanted in our lives, our interior life begins to grow and show and impact our exterior life, our actions that are viewed by the world. To seek first his kingdom begins with our willingness to allow him to move in our hearts and our minds and change us from the inside out. It's not a passive process. It's not like sliding into the new year without reflection. You can't just say, okay, I'm ready, lay it on me, Lord, and you're ready to go. No, God's spirit implanted in the hearts of a believer may look invisible at, f- at first, But like a particle of yeast that's mushed and woven into dough that's kneaded, so the Lord moves in our lives and plies us through and allows us then, like the bread rises impacted by yeast all over, so our lives are changed and made different in conformity to Christ. The change, the righteousness that bears out in our lives, the life in which Jesus reigns. You see, God's kingdom and his righteousness are really two sides of the same coin. They're interconnected. The Holy Spirit is given when we put our trust in Jesus. It's like that seed or the yeast, and Jesus, the Spirit, changes us from the inside, and our outward behaviors show it. So picture literal fruit. Apples, oranges, peaches, and pears are naturally produced by a healthy tree. The tree doesn't wake up one day and say, okay, today is fruit-bearing day. Bam. There we have it. No, they don't just push out the fruit as an act of their will. It just naturally grows as, as the tree is impacted by the sun and the rain and nourished by the soil. As they receive more, they grow into healthy trees and produce fruit. And it's the same for us. As we grow spiritually, get healthier, we produce spiritual fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and so on. 
They are a natural result of a life lived with Jesus, a life lived, nourished by the Spirit, informed to be conformed to his word, and nurtured by the communion with the Spirit through prayer. So with all this in mind, I want to go back to that first question. But instead, this time, think about how Jesus might answer it. Jesus, what do you want? How do you think Jesus would answer his own question? You know, all through the Gospels, Jesus told stories about the kingdom of God. And it's in these stories that we see his heart. He came to show us how to live so that we could be with him forever. What does Jesus want? He wants us to join him in the kingdom of God. He said it directly in Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus wants. How did he answer the question? He answered it by an action, by going to the cross. He came to save us because he wants us. He's gone on record telling us how much he wants us, how much he loves us. So the question for us on this Sunday after New Year's is, do we really want him? He came to seek and save the lost. Well, God knows that sometimes we do get lost. Jesus called us sheep, lovingly tended to the sheep. But sheep get confused, and they wander off. They lose their way. You know the old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the one I love. I don't know where you are as you look into this new year stretching out ahead of you, but I want you to know that God wants you, and he has made a way for you to find him through his son Jesus, even if you feel lost right now. All you need to do is respond to his invitation to come and see. Now, as you do pursue Jesus, I want to clarify something that can trip up those who follow Jesus. Because in our striving to run so hard after Jesus, sometimes we can get so focused on the path or the process that we lose sight of him altogether. Our friend Eric Little offers us a word of insight that we might, that, because he might have struggled with the same kind of thing. But instead of letting his times and his rankings or his medals define him, he ran with a different objective in mind. When a fellow runner told him on the track, I'm worth something because I run. If I do not run, I'm nothing. And Eric simply replied, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. You see, Eric ran not to prove himself, but to be the fullest expression of who God made him to be. While the intensity of his training likely did not differ from that of his fellow athlete, his worth wasn't found in an earthly medal. He had a different objective in mind altogether. His pursuit of Christ and the prize of an inheritance that would never perish, spoil, or fade, that's what powered him. Not the time or the medal or the notoriety, but Jesus. Perhaps Eric understood something that we tend to forget. You know, God doesn't lean over the rail of heaven with a megaphone and say, try harder. Do better. No. 
He opens us his arms to us. He showed us on the cross. He says, whispers, come closer. That's what he wants. He wants us to come. His love for us is constant and sure. We do not need to earn his favor. He invites us to come closer. So how do we do that? We do that by responding in obedience to the announcement that the kingdom of God is near. John the Baptist made that extraordinary announcement as Jesus came onto the scene and he linked it with a call to repent. And Jesus did the exact same thing. Jesus said this, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and turn to God. You see, repentance is different and deeper than remorse. Remorse is feeling bad about something you've done. It's feeling guilty or upset about something you said or did or didn't do or haven't done or might never get to. You must see your sin as a barrier to becoming who Jesus made you to be. And that's the purpose of repentance, to reveal, to bring to mind, not to impact you with guilt, but to impact you to change. It's a turning away from so you can turn toward and come closer. An invitation to draw closer. An invitation to remove the barriers from us to that deeper relationship so we can have more of him, so we can seek him first. For the last few years, my family has done something called a family summit. It's kind of a way to process the year, and we have a series of questions we all respond to and take turns answering. It takes a long time. There are a number of us. We share wins and losses, lessons learned, highlights, turning points. And then we prayerfully ask the Lord to reveal a theme or a word or a sense of vision for the year ahead. And it's been meaningful because then throughout the year we'll reference that word or we'll, we'll affirm or encourage one another to say that's what the Lord spoke to you about. Move out on that. Maybe you should consider that. Remember what he said. Well, last year, my world w word was simplify. And I thought, that's a great word for 2021, simplify. We were kind of locked up in our house. I'm like, I'll simplify. I'll deal with closets. I'll work on time management skills. I will clean out things I haven't looked at for many, many years. But it was a hard year. And lots of things happened that I didn't expect, maybe for you too. And through a series of difficult things, I realized the Lord was asking me to simplify at a much more profound level. In fact, he was asking me, am I enough? Can you simplify everything else, Elizabeth, so it's just me? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Am I enough? You see, God doesn't want to take away the things that bring us joy or garner us satisfaction. He wants to give us all things, but he knows that having all these things can threaten to destroy us if we don't keep him first, if he's not in his rightful place, if he isn't the pass-through for our understanding of what these things are. When we get things out of order, they can topple us and trip us up and get us off course. And he wants the best for us, so we need to keep him first. He doesn't want us to lose ourselves in him. He wants us to find ourselves 
our true selves in him. David Benner, author of The Gift of Being Yourself, said this, Paradoxically, as we become more and more like Christ, we become more uniquely our own true self. Your true self. That's the one Jesus came for. That's the one he loves. That's the one he wants to interact with. The real you. We're going to turn our attention to the Lord's table now. And as we prepare, if you don't have communion elements, I'll ask you to raise your hand. The ushers will come forward and give them to you. Make sure you get them. As you get them, you need to pull back that little upper cellophane wrapper so you can access the bread there at the top, that little wafer. Thank you, ushers. to make sure we're all served before we move into it together. It's meaningful to partake together. It's meaningful to come to the communion table on this first Sunday, isn't it? I hope your heart's been prepared through our worship and the breaking of the bread of the word. Because the word says that everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. Everyone ought to examine themselves. Are there parts of your life that are not reconciled with Christ? Are there things that sprang to mind when we talked about repentance? Are there things you need to settle with him? I want to give you a quiet moment to do just that and invite you to examine yourself. And so take these moments, considering all you've experienced so far, how we've spoken to you even before you came maybe reflecting on 2021 and staring out at that open roadway of 2022. What do you want to leave behind? What do you want to pick up? What do you want to turn away from? What do you want to turn toward? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your spirit that moves in this place and in our hearts. I thank you, Lord, that you are so much bigger than the things that concern us. You are a good and loving Father. And I pray that as we turn our hearts toward you in this moment, before we partake, that you will give us opportunity to settle things. Perhaps we've been casual in our relationship with you, Lord. Help us come closer. Perhaps we've been sloppy or short or preoccupied. Help us enter in. Perhaps, Lord, we've given in to the weights that entangle and the sin that trips us up. Help us turn away from it, Lord and turn to you, allow you to work in our hearts that we would experience the renewal and the growth and bear fruit for your kingdom, nurtured by your living water. We thank you, Lord, for the tenderness of your spirit and the quietness of your voice. Allow us to hear it now in these moments. Jesus, I thank you that you came to show us the way, that you proved it for your, your love for us by your 
sacrificial death on the cross, that you made a way for us to come closer. You closed the barrier our sin had created. You put a bridge over that chasm. So we thank you, Lord, for that sacrifice. And we pray now that you would move in our hearts and our minds as we partake together. We thank you and ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. We here at ACAC practice an open communion, and we invite all who confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior to join us this morning. You don't need to be a member of ACAC or of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, but you do need to be a member of God's kingdom. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake together. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us drink together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this free gift of grace that you have bestowed on all who will turn and come to you. We thank you, Lord, for setting us free, for proving your love for us on the cross, for lighting our way, and for never leaving us. We pray we be empowered by your spirit as we go from this place. For we thank you and praise you for your great gift. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. I'd like to close our time in communion by singing a familiar song, the doxology. Will you join me as we sing? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father. Son and Holy Ghost. Amen. So what do you want? What do you want out of 2022? What do you want out of the rest of your life? If you want a more meaningful, abundant life, I can assure you, you can have it. You just need to come and see, to come closer and walk with Jesus. Accept his invitation. Reject the attitudes of trying harder or doing better. Embrace him and his great love for you. Amen. <laughs>